a cricketing view, an irregular podcast about cricket and other things. Hello and welcome to a new episode of a cricketing view podcast. My guest today is Anthony McGowan, a writer of fiction and non-fiction for all ages, from you know children to young adults to older adults. He is also associated with the Authors Eleven. Uh, he's actually their opening batsman. Today we're going to talk about cheating in sport, which is a subject I've long been interested in. Thank you for joining me, Anthony. Welcome. It's a pleasure so far. Always nice to talk about my favourite subjects, cricket, philosophy and, and cheating. <laughs> Just to give listeners a bit of background, uh, the reason I was hoping to get Anthony to come on the show is because, one, uh, I know he's a philosopher, and two, I recently read an essay of his where he discusses uh, the ethics of walking from different philosophical standpoints. So, Anthony, do you, could you tell uh, my, my listeners... Uh, a little bit about how you got into philosophy and cricket. Oh, oh sure. I mean, I spent um, many years studying philosophy. I did various degrees, and then yeah. sort of abandoned it, left it behind me. And I, I had a number of careers, none of them very successful, until I became a writer. Uh, and I was principally a writer. In fact, still am principally a writer for young people, for teenagers and, and younger children. Um, but I always had this um, this vague guilt about about not having used all this philosophy that I'd acquired in my head. Uh, and so I, I decided to write an, an introduction to philosophy, um, which is structured around a series of walks I take with my dog, Monty. So it's a very lighthearted way of getting into, into philosophy. It's basically like a Socratic dialogue between me and me and the dog. Mm. Um, so I, I wrote this book. It's called um, How to Teach Philosophy to Your Dog. Uh, that that came out. And then I, I also have the other important part of my life is, um, is cricket. Uh, and there's a very good cricket magazine called The Night Watchman. Uh, yes. where you, you can write long, long format pieces for them. Uh, and so I thought I'd combine the two. So I wrote this, I suppose it's basically meant to be an introduction to the whole of, of philosophical ethics, but examined through the, the, the prism of, of, uh, of the ethics of walking in cricket. That's a really wonderful way to sort of introduce some of these fairly dense and complicated <laughs> ideas, isn't it? Just to use an example like walking. Yes, and it also helped clarify the ideas in my own mind. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. you don't quite know what you think about an issue until you really work through it in that kind of way. I, I, I always find sort of discussions about cheating to be especially fascinating because we always try to rationalize cheating. You know, mm. we, we, we try to say <laughs> rationally that, you know, oh, this is right or this is wrong or this is legal or this is illegal. And so far as the legality and illegality goes, under the laws of cricket, we can usually get somewhere to yeah. some sort of resolution. Yeah. But when it comes to right and wrong, it sort of immediately stops being an, a purely rational exercise, isn't it? Yeah, well, I thought that, that walking is particularly useful in this way because um, not walking, for example, is not it's not technically cheating. You're not breaking any of the laws of cricket. I mean, you know, there are some vaguely analogous situations. If you're a fielder, <clears throat> excuse me, and you um and you take a low catch, uh, and that's so that you know you've taken it on the half volley, and you yes. still claim the catch. Now, now that is straightforwardly cheating, and it's against the laws of cricket. You've you've pretended you took a catch which you didn't really take, and yeah. so unambiguously, if you get away with that, you've cheated. Um, I think it's different with with walking. You, you know, if you if you get a very fine edge and you don't walk and you're not given out by the umpire, you simply haven't cheated. Um, you know, there may be a spirit of, of cricket concept floating around in there. You, you may even get called a cheat, uh, but you haven't actually broken a law of cricket. So uh, uh, that, that's why I thought it's particularly useful, because it then becomes purely an ethical issue. So do you choose to, to live that lie? Uh, you know, I suppose that the, you might think of it more broadly in relation to, to, to lying in general. That, um, there are a few specific situations in which it's, a, a criminal offence to tell a lie if you commit a fraud or if you pretend you're a, a medical doctor and treat people when you're not really a medical doctor. That, that, that's a kind of criminal case of lying. But most cases of lying are not, in fact, crimes. You know, yes. To tell someone you love them when you don't love them is not, yeah. not a crime. It may be immoral, but it's not a crime. So that's so I, I was trying to find an example of that in sport, which is where um, cricket and walking came in. Although, um, as, as a sporting person, I've been intrigued if you can think of any other... Um, situations in any other sports where you have that 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 case where um, it's purely a moral issue rather than uh, 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 actually infringing a law. I, I couldn't think of any actually exactly analogous situations. 
today i suppose you would you would you would refer to maybe diving in in football oh yeah being yeah. analogous yeah. Uh, but but i think i think you 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 make an interesting point there uh, about the laws of cricket as well because under the laws the appeal is actually a legal process whereas walking is not <laughs> and and that's the distinction that's the asymmetry right between yeah. because an appeal is sort of a necessary necessary part of you know the process of dismissal yes you, you, you can't be out unless you appeal I'll give you another example, which which came to mind. Fred Truman wrote about this in his book, you know, and he he wrote about one of his tours of Australia. And you know, since we're talking about cheating, it's probably a good idea to introduce the Australians into the conversation. Of course. Well, you start. You've got to be a little bit careful about Fred. He was well yeah. known as someone who would occasionally exaggerate and elaborate his stories. But let's uh, let's see how 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 realistic this one is. You know, a ball of fire is full of stories about how various constituencies within the game and society were you know unfair to mr croman <laughs> yes uh, and one of them is australian umpires and fred tells a story about how he went into bat one evening i think it was sydney or melbourne one of those things and uh or wally grout was the wicketkeeper and truman of course went down on down on his knees to sweep and he missed the ball and crowd collected it and broke the bales and you know bellowed an appeal and apparently why as he did that under his breath he whispered to truman you know don't worry fred you're fine i'm just keeping them on their toes <laughs> and lo and behold the umpire gives uh, him out you've given out <laughs> and of course in truman's story Grout is all apologetic at the end, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, Fred. I didn't think they, they would be those so stupid." You know, so so this sort of begins as a story, I think, about you know how you know things are generally sketchy in Australia, and ends up being about how umpires are stupid. So, but but so what he's describing there, in a sense, is what today we would call a professional appeal. You know, I mean, Adam yeah. Gilchrist was supposed to do this. You know, as a matter of course, wicketkeepers are supposed to. So it's it's part of their art to to game the umpire, to game the. Yeah, I, I suspect that that takes place more at a higher level than the one I actually play at. Uh, I, I, weird, yeah. this is a bit of a tangent. I, I've always found as a, as a batsman, I, I, I'm all not quite, but almost on the same side as the as the wicketkeeper. You know, we, yeah, we both have similar challenges, and so uh, one of the things I always do when I go out to bat is to try and establish a little bit of a rapport with it with the with the keeper. Yeah. You, you know, say hello, have a smile, have a joke with them. Um, so and, and, and I've never noticed at my level, particularly the wicketkeeper. G- gaming it in, in that sort of way, but I'm sure that you know when you get to a more professional or even semi-professional level, it happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely. Oh, this is. You need to be worthy of being watched on TV to, to, to do anything, anything of this kind. <laughs> well, I'll never reach that level. Not not now. Uh, where are we on the on the sort of the line the line between lying and not lying and cheating and not cheating? And that? Well. I- I think that um, I suppose I, I picked walking as an example of this because uh, I think you always know if you if you feather that ball, you never yeah. don't know. There's, there's something about that little tingle of energy you get from even the finest of edges. So there, you absolutely know. Well, you know, if you're a uh, a, a medium pace bowler you come hopping and puffing in uh, you, you might think it's 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 gonna go down the leg side and you put up an appeal but you never you never quite know so i think that that, that um i wanted that that absolute clarity of the of the, of the batsman knowing he's edged it and then either making that choice to walk on or not walk i think in most of the other situations on the cricket field it's never quite that 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 that, that crystal clear you know, I suppose you would call it sharp practice, isn't it? I, I've never understood what that phrase means. It seems to be, you know, a, a way to sort of evade the accusation of lying without actually yeah. evading any of the substantial accusation of lying. Yeah. It's sharp practice, for instance, to have the third fielder on the leg side exactly bang on square, but <laughs> tending towards, you know, behind square. Uh, okay. You know, and uh, you know, so so the fielder will sort of move in or out as the as the bowler is running into ball and all sorts right. of shenanigans, you know, yeah. also stuff yeah. agree. Uh, you know, I, I, you can see why it's happening, but clearly there's some connection between why they're doing it and the fact that they know it's completely wrong, right? Because yeah. the, the the sort of, it seems to me that one of the sort of features of lying 
is that everybody seems to agree that it happens very often and it is always wrong. Hmm. Uh, well, I suppose that there are situations in everyday life where it might be a bit more ambiguous than that. That um, you, you know, if you, you you have someone cooks you a meal and you say that was delicious. Uh, when it actually wasn't i think there you might try and make a, a moral defense of lying from a utilitarian point of view uh i'm not sure if there are cricket examples there but i think at the in the professional game i think there is that massive pressure on the players to push that line a bit so you know just because there's so much at stake in, in the professional game so this psychological pressures from your from your teammates from your own need to succeed um, from the fact that so much depends on it, you know, in terms of your own, you know, financial and professional life. So th- th- there, the examples you give of that, that sharp practice, and that, that seems to be pushing us far towards that line as you can get away with. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's still, is that still the same as, as lying? Uh, well, I, I, if you get I, away with sure. it, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> thing, right? I mean, yeah. Although I, I just, actually, I remembered a, a, an example from my own playing career, modest though it is, um, but back when I was a, a, a younger man, I was um, I used to open the bowling for my my um, team in the Yorkshire League, you know, at reasonably high level. Then I was a fairly quick outswing bowler, um, and it was back in the in the heyday of um, actually the, towards the end of the career of Michael Holding, and, and Michael Holding would occasionally come off a shorter run up, and, and so uh, and that was often his quicker ball, and so lots of people at the lower level used to kind of copy that Michael Holding technique of occasionally coming off a shorter run up. But I used to occasionally um, begin walking back as if, as if I was going to go back to the end of my long run-up and then just suddenly pivot and come in sneakily off the short run-up yeah. uh, to try and catch the batsman slightly by surprise. Yeah. Uh, and that was undoubtedly sharp practice. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was only a 16-year-old kid and didn't really have the, the, the morality clear in my own head. Um, but my, I did it once too often. My... my, my um, uh, my captain took me off and didn't bowl me for the rest of the season as punishment for this uh, <laughs> this, this this morally ambiguous act. So uh, I never did it again after that. <laughs> so I suppose that, that would be an example, I suppose, where where in fact you'd, I'd pushed the line so far that it probably was was cheating. And I'm not sure which uh, you, you probably know the laws of cricket better than I do. Is there a which law of cricket would that, that break? Sneakily no. coming off a short, really? Even if the if you're doing it slightly to catch the batsman off guard or is that was it okay? no the bat, batsman can back out if the batsman doesn't then it's his own fault i mean uh, okay. it's not it's not your fault i should have carried on doing it then how i'm now angry at my captain for taking me off <laughs> all those years ago that sort of brings up an interesting question isn't it this whole question of being constrained by rules you know because it is the rules which define transgressions right mm. the, the, the transgressions exist because there are rules mm-hmm. and on the one hand, sport is such a purely competitive thing where, you know, every play in the game, every ball, both sides are trying to improve their position at the expense of the opposition. Mm. Right? So, in a sense, it is a, it is a total, com- it is totally a com- contest. You know, there's no part of it which is not a contest. Mm. Right? So, the, so, in that sense, it is sort of supposed to be both, you know, absolutely constrained by sport by rules and absolutely competitive. Yeah. That seems to be an irreconcilable tension. Isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's well put. But also, it's so fantastically complicated. I mean, cricket is a complicated game at the, at the best of times. But yeah. also the different psychological complexities that the players bring to that situation. I mean, even at the amateur level, you know, we have players who are much more competitive and who will push those lines um, and who would never, ever consider walking. Uh, then we have the more um, the, the captain of the Authors Eleven cricket team, Charlie Campbell. He's an old Etonian. He's an incredibly mm. honourable person, and he would always, always walk. Um, yeah. And and often in the field, he he's called back batsman on several occasions when he was concerned that catch might not have been cleanly taken, even though I thought it it, it, it was. So he's on, on on very much on on that side of the line. So his um his he brings his external morality very much into the game and pulls him in one direction whereas our more hard-nosed players would bring their own morality and pull it in a different direction so all these different complex psychological elements get mixed in with that those already complicated rules and that 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 then male competitiveness that kind of kicks in there as well and perhaps temporarily Mm. obscures your moral judgments it's a it's the beauty of the game 
if you are sort of prepared, like you know, J.R. Vishwanath famously, you know, recalled Bob Taylor in that Test match. I forget which one. Mm. Uh, or when he was caught at the wicket, or, or he was given caught at the wicket, and you know, there's always been this nagging suspicion that you know, J.R. Vishwanath, oh, he was too nice to be India. <laughs> He's not competitive. Well, who was the batsman again? Was it? Did you say Bob Taylor? Yeah, the wicketkeeper. So, well, I wonder again if. if if the fact that Bob Taylor not being a brilliant batsman might have helped uh, the captain <laughs> make that decision. Um, uh, he was in a stand, though, I think. But, um, you know, again, as, as a batsman, something I wrote about in, the, in my, my article, um, uh, I think that you're much more likely to walk uh, if maybe you've hit a, a belligerent 70-odd or, mm. or, or got 100 than if, you, you know, you've got one or two or it's your first or second ball. I think then it's it, it, it's a much harder job to, to walk. Um, although I, I think again I said in the, in the piece I was trying to remember in my entire career of you know I've been playing cricket at, at, at league and friendly level for um, forty years longer. I've had I think only two occasions when I could have walked. I, I hit the ball and wasn't given out by the umpire. Um, and on one occasion I walked. On the other occasion, I was thinking about it, and the umpire called over, and I stayed there. <laughs> so, it, it, uh, so, what was my point? But I suppose it just hasn't happened to me very often. Um, but, but I, I, I do wonder though if I would bring those those extraneous elements, it, it which would pull my my decision one way or the other. Those kind of non-moral factors about the state of the game, my own personal form. So I don't know. It's a tricky one. What you seem to be getting at is this idea that the the decision to cheat or to walk or to not walk it's often taken in the moment yes that it that it is often not some sort of cold-blooded you know matter of conviction yeah yeah but i suppose you you may well get some players who um i I don't know if if it was really established if gilchrist always walked but it might have this policy which they bring onto the field then they don't ever have to think about it they just always walk Mm. um but that again part of the point of my article was to look at how different moral philosophies would would address this situation Uh, and so you know if you're if you're a kantian then you have a rule that says you never lie or Mm. interpreting cricket terms that you always walk uh, yeah. a, a utilitarian, the, the kind of view that's often contrasted with with Kant, says in fact you, the, the to be properly moral, you have to make a complicated calculation and work mm. out what's the way of maximising utility or happiness in that situation. And mm. sometimes that might be to walk, and sometimes it might be to stay. Um, so I think you have to make that 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 kind of, you have to decide what kind of moral person am I? Am I a Kantian, a Kantian utilitarian, an Aristotelian, a Stoic? an epicurean they was all they was all pull you in different directions was nietzsche right then uh are convictions worse than lies for, for, for nietzsche uh, morality is all about the individual making those choices so um yeah. if if you are the superman then you can do whatever you want so i, I think that he thinks that convictions are all important uh, if you look mm. uh, it's only in, in some of the works in in um in uh in the spake zarathustra it's all about your belief uh, and that's what and, and, and you should always be true to your own inner convictions and you can lie if necessary uh you, you can cheat you can steal you can kill if you're the superman or an australian i suppose that 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 was sort of what i was getting at right because nietzsche's whole point is that well you know to use a unfortunate contemporary example if you're boris johnson you can get away with it so if, you're, <laughs> if you're donald trump you can get away with it whereas yeah. if you're like me or you you probably could, couldn't get away with it we might try but no we sort of got to this idea that you know okay well you know the decision to lie or to cheat is perhaps often made in the moment and you know then then sort of you come to this this notion that well how prone are people likely to be to to, to to sort of fall prey to the moment in that way, you know? And and is uh, is there is there a possibility that there are people who, you know, out of convictions, out of their absolute confidence in their supremacy, uh, <laughs> are always absolutely sure that they are right, yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever decision they're making. Well, you know? we've all played with cricketers like that, haven't we? I can think of at least three in my own my own team. <laughs> 
I'm not going to name any names. Um, but I suppose that w- w- what I think, my, my, my own view on, on this, is that um, I, I do have my own moral philosophy, which is basically utilitarianism. Uh, and I, I try to live my life by that. Um, yeah. But occasionally I'll fail. Yeah. Uh, whether on the cricket field or in the outside world, but there I think that what 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 you then have to do is to say is to is to say yes, fair cop, I failed. So, but you um you are right to criticise me for not living up to my own standards. Yeah. Um. So if you like, there's a this is where there's a kind of nexus that that you you can when you when you're in that moment of decision, so you know you've edged that ball. Um, and you think, shall I walk or shall I not walk? And you know that what you should do, according to your own philosophy, whether it's Kantian or utilitarian, and then you decide to, to not follow your own rule. Mm. Um, now, now there, that's a, that's a psychological decision that you've made. Um, and, but that, and then you, what, what you must do is, is, is put yourself, is, is, is accept the verdict of the moral law, that yes, you've been wrong, even if you stay there. And so I think that that, that 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 then is a way of perhaps redeeming yourself as a moral agent, <laughs> even once you've done that 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 made that that moral mistake. Well, um, so you say it's a fair cop. You've got me. I'll, I'll serve my time. But is that redemption something <laughs> for your benefit, or is that redemption <laughs> for your social standing? <laughs> well, it, it it may it may well be both. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I certainly to go back to your slightly earlier point. Uh, you know, that there, I've got teammates mm. who who um. Who, who will never admit that they were wrong? So there was a, a game last year where I was um, I, I batted, I was out, uh, and uh, one of my teammates came in, and he um, he hit a low full toss uh, to mid on and um, w- was caught out, and the the the, the bowler did. I mean, nobody appealed. It was an absolutely straightforward low full toss catch, mm. uh, and the batsman didn't walk. Mm. I did. He just stayed there, um, and I, I, I looked at him, and the bowler looked at him. And he said, "Oh, I, I bumped it." Yeah. Uh, and oh. I, I said, "I said, um, no, 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 you didn't." <laughs> and he said, I, "I did. I bumped it." And he stayed there, and none of us knew quite knew what to do. Um, and uh, in the end, they, they, the bowler kind of shrugged, and the, the captain sort of shrugged, and we we just played on. Mm. Um, and I I I, t- I talked to him afterwards, and he he just convinced himself that he bumped it, and. So I don't know. I suppose that takes that. That is a very, I suppose, Nietzschean kind of view, uh, that he simply could not accept the fact that he'd been wrong, and, and so did, that he had a, a reality distortion field then that, that that kind of kicked in. I mean, it's also the George Costanza view, isn't it? It's that you know, it, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but I mean, this this idea of sort of the the cocksure, you know, superstar supremely self-confident, you know, maestro is uh, has, a, has a long history in the game, isn't it? I mean, oh, I mean yeah. we say a lot of things about, you know, the great West Indian sites, but, you know, you look at you look back at videos and you read about reports from that time. Mm-hmm. And there's always this undercurrent about, you know, especially when the games were in the West Indies, mm-hmm. you would have, you know, Viv Richards and other, you know, big players mm-hmm. uh, rushing umpires and, you know, yes. Yeah, appealing in an intimidatory fashion, and I remember it well. Yes, and all these commentators back in the day, when you know they were much more restrained than they are now, they would notice it. Yeah, I think I think that made it all the more effective because they were so restrained. We still remember it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. and, and that was at least sharp practice, if not more, isn't it? Yeah, well, I remember um, a particular case was Rob Bailey. It was the uh, what, what was it? The ninety. 90- 89 but he was caught down the leg side and um and viv kind of went up for the appeal and again charging down to the um down to the umpire uh and and made the umpire change his mind and clearly uh, bailey hadn't hadn't tickled it Uh, but i think that there that the that meant so much though because viv was captain after years of not being captain cricket was so important to the west indies and also they were beginning to lose that absolute invulnerability weren't they yeah. So there was so much at stake there. I, 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 I don't think Viv was cheating there. I think just the heat of the moment and the desire took took control. I mean, going back, you know, hundred years before that, to um, there was even more blatant examples of that. The um, the the, the great um, uh, W. G. Grace was yeah. notorious for cheating. Yeah. There's all kinds of examples about about him. I mean, there was a famous story where it was a very windy day. And a, a bowler bowling against him flicked the off bail 
and, and Grace just bent down and put it back on again yeah. uh, and said to the umpire, um, very windy day today, umpire. And the umpire <laughs> said, well, mine it doesn't blow your hat off on the way back to the pavilion. <laughs> one time, but other times, but you know, he'd refused to, to leave and his famous saying was, um, they've come to watch me bat, not you bowl to the bowler. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, that, that was a time when, when gambling was uh, perhaps even more central to cricket than it is now. So there were big financial pressures as well. People would bet on, on how many runs uh, the doctor scored. So it's by no means a, a new phenomena, sharp practice. I remain fascinated by this this paradox or this at least this tension between so on the one hand virtue being identified on the basis of winning mm. and on the other hand virtue being identified on the basis of you know self restraint it it is a very very liberal view of the world isn't it <laughs> well I, I suppose what i what I was trying to do in my in my, in my piece in my essay um, yeah. my article w- was to get people to try and think clearly about what it means to be moral or to act morally or to act virtuously because yeah. um, for most of us in our everyday life we, we don't ever bring it into sharp focus you, you know most of us think that we're basically good people um yeah. and, and we on the whole try to do roughly the right sort of thing in life if not always in cricket uh, but yeah. then when you try and find out exactly what a person means by the right thing then often it starts to collapse or have contradictory views about 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 virtue um, so I suppose I was trying to get people to decide what, what are you? Is it right to always follow a rule? Is it right to try and in any situation assess where the maximum happiness lies? Or uh, is morality a matter of certain virtues which you always always follow or adopt, make part of your personality? Um, or is it just a matter of pleasure? Is, is, is virtue a, a myth? And in fact, we all, all the time, simply do try and maximise our own enjoyment and pleasure. Um, so I, I think that once you you begin to think carefully morally, well, uh, well, you know that you, you might spend the rest of your life trying to work out the answer to these questions. But I think it does make you a more interesting person, a more complex person, and mm. perhaps even one day a better person. So can I ask you, are, are you a walker, Kartik? Um, it depends. <laughs> It depends. Ah, oh, what a cop out. <laughs> it it depends on whether I like the opponents. <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, you, you know what? There there is a truth in that. We have teams that we play every season, and yeah. we got you know friendships form. And there are teams that you know that that they're in inverted commas that they're the nice teams, yeah. and perhaps we we all would take a more um, a, a more generous spirit attitude when we, when we play against them. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, when I was very, when I was schoolboy, you know, I, I used to play tennis uh, a little bit, and uh, used to play these friendly games with friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was this one friend, and we were playing this game, and I wa- I thought I'd won a point, and he said it was it was out, and I was absolutely convinced that he <laughs> knew it was in, and that he had. He had said it was out, yeah. and I couldn't. Then, of course, we didn't have like any anybody else. There was no third. There was no <laughs> umpire course. or anything, yeah. right? So uh, then he lobbed me, and it was a great lob. I mean, I'll admit it now. It was a great lob. Oh, you didn't call it out, did you? Oh, <laughs> I called it out, uh, and it, that was like purely out of spite, you know. <laughs> it, in that moment, I was absolutely convinced that. You know, justice demanded that this thing be called out. Yeah. In the sense of kind of cosmic balance, or yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not 14 now, right? But when I was 14, that's that I did think that way. Yeah. Although I think that's a very good um, example of a, of a case where it's clearly cheating to call a ball out when you know it's in. Yeah. So that that is a but I. I, I Going back to, to to walking, even if you know you've hit it and you don't walk, you stay there. You haven't cheated. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I think that, that 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 so one is clearly a, a black and white issue. The other one is is more more shaded, more nuanced. I see. I see. So I I do want to get to another another side of this 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 idea, right? Which is the way some things are perceived to be cheating. You know, uh, so the the classic example is of course monkering, which is not cheating. <laughs> no, not 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 cheating at all. No. It's perfectly legal. But the other, um, interestingly, is is throwing. 
Ah. Isn't it? I mean, bowlers who throw, oddly enough, are considered cheats. Yeah. Even though it is a purely a technical infraction. You know, if you bowl a front foot no ball, nobody says you're cheating. Mm. But but if you if you have a kink in your action which shows up in one variation, yeah. then suddenly you're like this cheat. But I mean, I mean, throwing is 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 a fascinating area, uh, and clearly, I think most people historically who've thrown the ball weren't aware they were doing it. Yeah, there's a famous case of uh, the the um, English spinner um, Tony Lott from the 50s and 60s. Uh, who you know he had a his faster ball. Everyone kind of knew he, he he was chucking it, except him. And when he finally saw a bit of film of him doing it, he thought, "Oh my God, have I been doing that all these years? That's awful." Um, so I think that generally speaking, and obviously that there are like Murali, he had that 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 um, disability in his elbow, so he, he couldn't. So it looked like his arm was bent. Actually, he, he's a bad example because he he wasn't throwing it at all. But but um, so most throwers in inverted commas just don't know they're doing it. Um, mm. But I, I think there were historically a couple that that, that that knew and would occasionally throw in a you know deliberately throw it together and get more more more, more, more pace in there. I think. It, I, I think it was more, probably more prevalent among spinners than than quick bowlers even, but I, I you know, I, I've um, I, I used to be a bowler. I've actually tried to throw it in the net. It's actually yeah. really hard. You know, if yeah. you're used to having a broadly straight arm, it's almost impossible. I I found to to, to accurately chuck it. So I don't know, but it, it, it's for for some reason throwing had a particular moral taint to it back in the days, yeah. more than almost anything else in, in in cricket, and it's hard to know quite quite why. And and these sort of things have taken on a life of their own, isn't it? I mean, that even just yesterday, I was seeing, you know, there's this conversation on Twitter about, oh, who's the greatest bowler of all time? And <laughs> someone says, oh, Murali, he had to have the law changed <laughs> to, to benefit it. So he's just a non-starter, you know. This <laughs> Cheating and the perception of cheating is, it's not a matter of fact, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, I think there are there are in certain issues where it appears to be kind of more clear cut than others. But actually, this takes me back to one of the in the, the book that I wrote before that, that, that from which the article kind of emerged. Mm. Um, I, I was trying to work out did I have an overall um, a kind of guiding concept in it. And as a book, um, as I wrote the book, it, it did seem to me that almost all the problems in in philosophy. Um, mm. Both ethics and and the other areas of philosophy c- came down to the fact that most of the concepts that we use and the words we try and describe them are are, are fuzzy. And there's yeah. a there's a paradox about them um, that, that describes it's called the, the Sorites paradox, uh, which was um, one of the early Stoics came up with, uh, which yeah. is the the paradox of the heap. And um, so it, it's basically uh, if you're um, if you've got a pile of sand, uh, mm. h- how many grains of sand you need to make a pile uh you know obviously three isn't a pile and a thousand probably is a pile but the the, the it's very hard to just define at which point just some sand becomes a pile or there's um it's given another form of one of the other stoic philosophers which is um in relation to being bald so uh you know clearly if you have no hair on your head you're bald um mm. if you have a, a full head of hair you're not bald but at mm. some point the full head becomes a bald head and is, yeah. uh, is it 10 hairs or 50 hairs? So it's, and it's almost, you can never actually say because the concepts of a pile and the concepts mm. of baldness are fuzzy. They're not precisely defined. Yes. Uh, and I think so often in, in, in morality, again, you get that, that, that problem of, of strictly defining it. So uh, even def- just defining cheating, cheating is in fact, a, as we just, you know, discovered today, is a fuzzy concept that, that mm. there's not a clear dividing line between absolute fairness and absolute cheating that we've got a vague idea that we know what's cheating a vague idea we know what's fair just as we've got a vague idea that we know what bald is and and what a full head of hair is um but it's when you get down to those fine distinctions that it becomes essentially impossible and so i think that that's why we will never solve the problems of philosophy because um you've got in a way you've got too much fuzziness there Uh, but well the, the fuzziness of of the of the complexity of the real world than the fuzziness of our attempts to map language onto that real world. And that difficulty in philosophy, just you can read it across to, to cricket or many other areas of life. In the last part of this conversation, I want to bring up two episodes, I should say, or two subjects, which mm-hmm. I think almost 
all the listeners will agree are you know squarely questions of cheating but they are completely opposed to each other and even so they are cheating mm. uh the first is ball tampering mm. <laughs> uh, uh right from you know you know steve smith and uh, cameron bancroft and you know sand sandpaper <laughs> yeah. and yeah. shahid afridi trying to you know take a bite out of the cricket ball <laughs> and you know marcus chesco take you know chewing mummery mints and then uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dropping them onto the pitch and then frantically you know <laughs> kneeling on the ground to gather them up before the um, umpire noticed like what the hell was going on yeah uh that's that's one form of sharp practice right mm. it's just one form mm. of trying to get an illegal advantage mm-hmm. in an underhanded way mm-hmm. and the other is fixing spot fixing mm. you know uh which is a different which is you're not really cheating the opponent you're cheating the game mm-hmm. itself the first arises out of a desire to gain a competitive advantage within the game mm-hmm. and the other arises out of a disregard for the competition within the game yeah uh, isn't it <laughs> yeah but even on the on that first one the, the one you think is unambiguously cheating um mm. uh, a ball tampering but again there there's some fuzziness you know if you're wearing yes. sun cream and you and your and you the sun cream gets mixed with the sweat which you rub into the ball uh, is that is that cheating is that using an um, artificial well, that, substance that depends on how you interpret the law isn't it, it, it yeah so um but clearly often as you say is the um you know taking some sandpaper onto the pitch and <laughs> and rasping away at the ball uh, none of us would would, would defend that uh, yeah. uh, but I, 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 so and the second case of the of the of the match fixing yeah. uh, i suppose that takes into a into the wider area of morality outside sport doesn't it um but i I've, i don't know about you but i I've, I've, i've occasionally wondered what i would do in that situation yeah. you know if you're paid enough simply to to bowl a no, a no ball and it's not going to affect the outcome of the game or it's very unlikely to would you have the moral character to turn down that $10,000 or whatever they well, I don't know what the currency of match match fixing is um I, I, you kind of hope he would but um you know again as I said I was a utilitarian at the beginning uh, and this is one of the you know every every moral world view can be challenged and yeah. you could challenge utilitarianism by saying well it would in fact be right for me to take that $10,000 um because yeah. the 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 happiness i would feel the benefit to me would more than outweigh the mild um uh, unhappiness uh, within the game although i suppose it would it would distort the betting wouldn't it so people would lose out i don't know <laughs> let's come back to the throwing uh not throwing sorry so let's come back to the ball tampering, ball tampering in, yeah. in in the end but yeah. but i think i you bring up an interesting point about the fixing you know this is something that has sort of disturbed me a little bit in so many ways in that i found it impossible to feel any sort of betrayal from any of this i find myself not getting riled up by it at all whereas i would get riled up by an opposing captain you know rushing the umpire or something like that, that would uh, really okay. rile me up so what, what's you know? the distinction then what, what there's an aspect of tragedy in the fiction uh, right i mean yeah. these people are they're getting into bad company they're getting into all sorts of compromised situations you know i've spoken to ex players who you know were in teams where this might have been happening yeah and and they've basically said that you know these people it's not just a choice about you know do i take the 10000 or do i not take the 10000 in many of these cases there's a there's a stick also uh. there are traps of all sorts uh, i know that they, they get lured in don't they initially it yeah. seems very innocent you just talk about you yeah. know the weather and, or the playing conditions or whatever and then suddenly and they're in trouble and you know when you're 18 or 19 or 20 i mean i can i can i have a lot of empathy for people who find themselves in that terrible situation and you know have not had the good sense to 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 sense it immediately and yeah. get out of it right at the very beginning yeah you know uh we um several years ago we went on a, on a tour to india and we we played against the rajasthan royals in a in a yeah. friendly game yeah. uh you know they, they didn't play their strongest team but they had street stance with uh, was their, their captain mm-hmm. uh and what an utterly delightful lo- lovely man um yeah uh, and yet he he spiraled down uh, yeah. i don't know yeah that that's sort of why i i find it very difficult to 
get mad or get feel any sort of disgust or rage at fixing you know i just think it's a tragedy it's it's sort of um, it's it's an externality in the game which mm. so, so you, your kind of human sympathy kicks in there yeah but i have friends who have no sympathy for these people you know i have friends who are absolutely i'm convinced sincerely very very angry about about these people and their betrayal you know and i have i think i like cricket but i do not feel any rage at this betrayal and this bothers me uh, you know i'm wondering whether you know i have sort of lose moral fiber in a sense <laughs> <laughs> well but you, are the, the the friends of yours who are most opposed to, to match fixing are they the ones who most worship cricket for its history and institutions i can see that if if you if you do have this this glorified view of cricket as this pure, perfect thing, then you might see match-fixing as undermining that. Um, but perhaps. I think they're also... I've, how should I put this? They're also uh, more patriotic about cricket than I am. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the other issue we've not really talked about. The extent yeah. to which your own personal allegiances d- distort yeah. your perceptions here. Uh, yeah. you, you know, I, I, there was a, a famous example from... a. Um, a couple of Ashes series ago where Stuart Broad um, edged, was it Lions or uh, it was one of the Australian slow bowlers behind and he, he got this massive edge and he was caught at first slip Yeah. Uh, and he, um, he he didn't walk and the umpire mysteriously did, didn't, didn't the neutral umpire just didn't give him, give it yeah, yeah. and obviously this enraged the Australians and all Australian supporters couldn't yeah. believe this, this flagrant cheating as they as they saw it and yet most brits even those of us who are generally in favor of walking thought oh, well you know it's australians it's fine it's just you know yeah. stay there so you, you could see your your own commitment um just distorting your moral viewpoint a bit there so it's sort of that that's an interesting example isn't it because you know if if walking is about doing something that is at odds with what you know to be true then what difference does it make how thick the edge was no, no, no difference at all i think it was almost it was um it was it was so extreme i think that they felt it was there was some rule of etiquette almost <laughs> that, that, that was broken there um it's like it, uh, you're picking up the wrong fork you know <laughs> <laughs> But it, it was a joy to see the Australian faces, the outrage. It was <laughs> just another example, because obviously Stuart Broad is a is a you know he's someone who does does push the lines. He's Australian. Uh, it's, it's quite Australian. Also, he has, he's got an evil streak in him, which is why I don't, certainly when he was younger. But one of the best players in our in our team. Um, yeah. Uh, he's a, an all round. When he started out, he was quite a, still quite a quick bowler, and mm. he used to occasionally bowl a deliberate beamer. Mm. Um, you know, especially if, if, if a batsman tried to come down the wicket to him, he'd bowl a beamer, <laughs> and uh, it's something I'd never really seen before. And he said that it was quite common. He, he played um, l- league cricket in the Midlands, um, and I, I suppose, now, but, but is bowling a beamer? That's is it? Is it cheating? Um, what are the laws of cricket on that? So, but it's clearly yeah. it's a dangerous and I'd say probably an, an immoral thing to do because you're trying to. That's really is trying to inflict. Injury on a batsman. I suppose when you bowl a bouncer, you try to do the same thing as well, aren't you? Well, I mean, to the extent that you know the deliberate beamer falls under you know forty-one, which is fair and unfair play. Right. It, it, that does sort of s- signal that you know it is uh, the game takes a dim view of it. Yeah, but that, I mean, that that does usually get outrage, moral outrage as well, doesn't it? The beamer, in the same way that yeah. that's chucking it, I suppose. Yeah. How you react to an event which is sort of might in some quarters be considered, you know, below the belt or cheating or, you know, underhanded or what have you. So it reveals something about yourself as a as an observer of, of the game, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, c- cricket is uh, it's so brilliant in so many ways for exposing the reality of your soul, <laughs> you know, as, as a player and an observer. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose that's, again, the point of this article was to, was to get the readers uh, and then the watchers and the players of cricket to try and think as clearly as they can about their own personal morality and then how that intersects with with the, the this game of cricket um, 
let, let me let me end by sort of bringing up the question of justice. Ah, <laughs> you know, Steve Smith and his two friends did they get justice by being banned for a year? <laughs> no, uh, not by not by not by the cricket authorities, by their own employer. Yeah. Oh, blimey. Um, uh, this is right at the end of the podcast. You asked me that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I got the feeling that, that, that in some sense that they, they felt that they'd been treated justly, didn't they? I didn't get the impression that they felt outraged by the punishment. Um, and and that, that, to me, suggests that, that it may well have been the right thing to do. But it's, it's fantastically complicated, the whole issue of, of justice. We could go into Plato's Republic and see if that helps us, but I'm not sure it will very much. Um, this is, in in a sense... Just, just to not hide behind that big word. I mean it in the sense of being of the aggrieved party being made whole again. That that is the that is justice, isn't it? Oof. <laughs> some sort of, that that is that is recompense in some sense, isn't it? Uh, you know, I think that 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 is one view of justice. Um, another view is just justice means that the, the existing laws are being uh, enacted fairly. Um, mm. I, 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 so with, obviously within the laws of cricket, there aren't any penalties laid down, are there, for, for this sort of thing in terms of... So three games, is that in the laws of cricket? No, the ICC is code of conduct, right? Uh, uh, so. Okay, okay, sure. But I, I got the feeling that, that generally speaking, the world, the cricket world, felt that the punishment there seemed broadly right? Or is that, I got, you know, I, I, I obviously don't, don't know the players uh, at all, but... I didn't. I didn't get a sense of outrage from anyone about that. About that penalty. Um, no, I thought the three games and 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 money, the 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 biggest punishment available for, you know, ball tampering. That uh-huh. three of them thought that that was absolutely fine with me. Yeah. Uh, the the one year ban I thought was sort so of it's too cor- harsh. Corporate cowardice. <laughs> all sorts of all sorts of Australian suits are trying to protect themselves. You know, they failed in the end because most of them had to resign. But when when the British Prime Minister and the Australian Prime Minister and every newspaper in the country gets involved and has an opinion, then I suppose you know there has to be some, yeah. you know. Some 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 valve has to be let loose to sort of let the steam out. You know, isn't no, I, I, I guess it does suddenly remind me of the um, you know, the body line controversy, yeah. where there, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure to this day to what extent any laws of cricket were broken by that by the body line tactic, um, but it was perceived to be unfair, perceived to be cheating, and there again that there had to be a, a sacrificial victim for it, um, and that that was Harold Larwood. He was just doing what his captain told him, and um, that's the one part of body line which I think was deeply unfair—that the axe fell on Larwood and not yes. on Yeah, he, he was hounded out of the game. I'm not sure. Did he play for England again? Um, I, 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 I'm not sure that he did. So that that that, that again, I suppose, it was a, a a quest to try and show justice being done, and in fact, it was the opposite. It was, um, yeah. But body line itself. Borderline itself, there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, it was perfectly legal. Were there laws back then for in, against intimidatory bowling? Had that not not all? Well, I don't think I don't know that the bowling was intimidatory. I always thought that the whole point of leg theory was to 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 use if you had really quick bowlers, you could then bowl short and set a leg trap where you had like you know four leg slips. Yeah. So that any time the batsman fends, it's likely to go to hand. Yeah. Nowadays they do it. I mean, uh, Jofra Archer did it to Steve Smith uh, just a few months ago, uh-huh. and it was very well done. But unfortunately, under the rules, he could only have like two feet. Yeah, well, yeah. There was no rule like that at the time, so it was yeah. perfectly legitimate to use it. Yeah. I mean, if the if the batsman wants to sort of get hit, that's the batsman's fault. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he can he can just fend it and get out. You know. Yeah. If if it's a choice between getting out and getting hit, and you choose to get hit, then it's on you. But, but also, I think that it's partly used as a way of simply controlling the scoring because it's very hard then to score at all if you if that's you know you you, you can always duck. I suppose that's you know you just keep get, trying to get out of the way if it's leg side. Um, <laughs> um, you, you could. Uh, how, how many sixes did Bradman hit in his career? It's not very many, is it? Is it one or two? 
That's a good question. I, I think, think it's I think it's very very few. Yeah. How do we how do we think through the whole Steve Smith situation? There is a restorative aspect of the the year long break, right? It it did sort of get them out of the firing line. It get them oh yeah give them yeah, yeah. time to sort things out, you know, because they were clearly in trouble in, yeah. as a team. So yeah. you know they might have been dropped anyway, but it would have been one thing for the selectors to drop them. You know, or to leave them out for a series or two. It was completely different for their employer to sack them for, you know, not living up to the standards yeah. of their employer. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. But, well, there's something about that act. It was embarrassing, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. It was it just was deeply embarrassing. It was clumsy. Yeah. Would, would you ball tamper? What do you reckon? Mm-hmm. But again, our same fast bowler that would uh, bowl the, the beamers, he, he would always have um, a, a wine gum in his mouth. Uh, yeah. you know, wine gum's kind of a gelatin-based sweet, which he would use to smear on the on the shiny side. <laughs> ah. So a bit, bit like a bit like the Murray mints, but um, uh, but fruit flavoured. So you'd smell the ball after a while. The ball would always smell quite fruity when he'd been bowling. <laughs> Yeah, that that would be interesting, wouldn't it? To to smell the ball at the end of the day of test cricket. <laughs> I I don't know if I would. I I I might. I might. I I. It didn't I, like I the opposition, is it? <laughs> it yeah. It depends. If I hated the opposition, then I think it's easy to say that you wouldn't. But I I think you the point you made earlier was an important point, which is that. If it's a combination of malice and incompetence, you know, there's at least a significant amount of incompetence at work. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, what is it they say? Never attribute to malice that which can be explained by incompetence. <laughs> you know, I think. But so, I suppose that to, just to, I was just trying to step back and, and, and think around it. That I, um, so I, I, I do think that it's possible to to adopt a moral framework in your general yeah. life and then take that onto the cricket field. Yeah, and and, tr- and try to live up to it, and occasionally you're going to fail. Um, yeah. So, so there's that your own personal morality aspect of it, uh, and then there's us on the outside judging those people as individuals making those decisions, uh, and that's when without, we have to take without a, any awareness of the of the morality at work, isn't it? Well, yes, often. But so what you're saying about you having sympathy and understanding for those involved in, in match fixing. So you look at each individual case and see the pressures on those young young men on the whole um, and then maybe have an act of forgiveness or or understand that, that, that there were complexes at work there. But so I think there's, so there's, the, there's us as moral agents doing what we do. Then there's the general way in which those acts can be judged. And you might use different criteria for both of those two different things. You know, I, I, I genuinely think that it's probably a good thing to try and decide what kind of person you are and then try and live that on a cricket field as well. But then it, being human, often we're going to fail. That's, that's, I think, a great note to end on. Well, thank you, Anthony. This has, been a, this has been a pleasure. I'm not sure if listeners are going to be more inclined or less inclined <laughs> to be hostile to cheating after listening to this. Or maybe they'll be sort of more inclined to think of me as a cheat. <laughs> but either ways, I think this is this is to their profit. So thank you. My, my, my pleasure. Cheers.